Three. Before. The young couple at the middle table in the restaurant are the ones talking in the loudest voices. They're not used to luxury, and they've decided to eat there to celebrate their first wedding anniversary. She looks around at the other tables, hoping to spot someone famous, while he tries to keep his thoughts from straying to the astronomical check that's going to arrive. He knew it was going to be expensive, this restaurant on the top floor of a boutique where they'd never dare to set foot. Actually, she does set foot there regularly to see the new collections when they arrive, but not nearly as expensive as what he saw to his dismay on the menu. Still, he doesn't want to ask his wife to skimp on her order, not after she's waited all week for this night out, trying out all the best combinations of her Zara outfits, all purchased at discount. He's 27, she's 29. A few yards away, a German citizen is sitting alone, eating a sushi assortment. He's reading the American edition of The Bone Collector. He's slightly irritated to find that his English has gotten worse over the past few years. He's having trouble with the book, though he's already read it in German translation. He's the chief executive of a company that manufactures micro-components, and he hasn't had many opportunities lately to practice his English. He's thinking of starting private language lessons again, though the mere idea depresses him. He feels too old to go back to school, and he suspects that his memory isn't as sharp as it once was. He loves sushi, and he eats dinner there every week, usually by himself. He's just turned 60. At the large round table by the window, which is discreetly shaded by white curtains made of raw organic cotton. A DJ is sitting with his date, his agent and the owner of a discotheque on the outskirts of town. They're listening as the waiter inquires about possible allergies before telling them the night specials. The DJ is about to say, I'm allergic to raw fish, without realizing that this wisecrack is something the waiter hears about once a day and that he no longer even smiles when he does. The DJ is the former lead singer of a band that had a top 10 single three years ago. He works roughly 200 nights a year in the biggest nightclubs and discos. Music no longer sells. DJing is the profession of the future. The girl holding his hand, which has as many rings as the hand of the Madonna of Lourdes, everything about the DJ's look is a little excessive, including the tribal tattoo on the back of his neck and his bleached hair hopes that this time he's at least going to stay for the weekend, or that he'll ask her to go with him. She's not his girlfriend. She's just the girl he calls when he's going to spend a night in town. But she knows that the two of them are really in tune. She can feel it under her skin. After they had sex in the hotel that afternoon, he opened up like a little boy. He laughed and joked with her. Would he have done that if he was just looking for a fuck on the fly? He even confided that he plans to replace his agent with someone new. Someone more skilled and less emotional. A top secret piece of news, right? The agent in question wasn't born yesterday, and he has a hunch about what's coming. While he dreams of a cigarette, he desperately tries to remember the name of that movie where Woody Allen plays someone in his exact line of business, 
someone who's always being dumped by the artists he represents. For the past month or so, the DJ has been pretty evasive about his future plans. And that, for shit sure, is a warning sign. The DJ is planning to cut the cord, now that he's finally starting to have a smidgen of personal success. The owner of the discotheque isn't participating much in the conversation, which is, by and large, a monologue by the artist about the new musical directions that he was way ahead of. Frankly, he just hopes this dinner will be over as soon as possible. As far as he's concerned, the finest album in rock history is The Dark Side of the Moon, and all the DJs on Earth put together don't have a crumb of the class that the old school rockers had. But that's not the kind of thing you can say to someone you just hired, paying him 2,000 euros under the table to fill your disco for you. In the meantime, the owner sits smiling at the girl and thinking that she really is one hot babe with the physique of a fashion model and a sweet expression. He can just see her doing filthy things with that sweet, naive face of hers. Once the DJ gets the hell out from underfoot, He's planning to give her a call and ask her if she wants to come work in his club, helping to improve the place's image. It can be a good stepping stone, a way of getting into the world of show business. Don't tell me it never occurred to you. Trust me. The DJ is 29, the agent's 39, the owner of the discotheque is 50, the DJ's date is 17, the waiter is 22. At the table by the door, an older couple is waiting for dessert. Green tea ice cream for him, and an assortment of soy and red bean paste pastries for her, though she practically hasn't touched any of the earlier dishes. They were the first to be seated in the dining room, when it was still empty and silent. The husband has asked her more than once if there's something wrong, but she just smiled and replied, everything's fine. I'm just not very hungry tonight. They've lived together for almost half a century. He's had a successful career as a government functionary, but now he's retired. She raised two sons, who come for the major holidays. She put up with his occasional cheating over the years, by now ancient history and virtually forgotten. He's accepted her moments of emotional fragility, when she can't get out of bed, and keeps the shades down so she doesn't have to see sunlight. Time has worn away their differences and sharp edges. It has intertwined them, made them dependent one upon the other. That's why she's having such a hard time now figuring out how to tell him that her test results were anything but reassuring, that they definitely reveal a tumoral mass between her breasts. What scares her most isn't death, but leaving him all alone. She wonders how he can go on living without her. He is 72, she is 65. Two tables away, at another of the round tables, sit four young Albanian women and a man with a Greek profile. The girls are models, and the man is paid by the agency to take them out and about. Having dinner with them before any major runway presentation is part of his job. He looks after them. He assists them, and most of all, he keeps an eye on them to make sure they don't do anything stupid. That's why he bought them a gram of Coke, and why the girls are now just picking listlessly at their food. He doesn't like drugs, 
he doesn't use them. And if it were up to him, he'd line all the dealers up against the wall and execute them. But he also knows that it's pointless to tell the girls not to get high. If he didn't buy it for them, they'd get drugs from the guys parking their Porsche Cayennes in front of the model hotels with baggies ready to go. If he locked them in their room, they'd climb out the windows to get to the coke. They're always going out and getting wrecked. So they show up for rehearsals puffy-faced, with circles under their eyes. Cocaine keeps them from feeling hunger or the fear that they might not be pretty enough or good enough. He'll give them an extra gram before telling them goodnight, and he hopes that'll hold them. The conversation at the table is fragmentary. The girls speak only halting English, but to make up for it, they laugh a lot. Speaking in Albanian, they wonder if he's gay or if he's planning to take one of them to bed. Both options are mistaken. He's not gay. It's just that he doesn't like models. He finds them boring and stupid. He has a hard time telling them apart, and he finds them depressing. He's 35 years old. Two of the girls are 19, one's 18, and one's 20. The maitre d' ushers four Japanese businessmen into the dining room. They represent one of the best-selling companies in the West in terms of Asian style, and they've just spent the week meeting local wholesalers, an experience that they found rather demeaning. It seems that no one wants anything that varies an inch from the stereotype of white tatami mats, futons, and rice paper lampshades. The next day, they have a flight back to Tokyo, and eating Japanese wasn't what they had in mind. But the director of the boutique has invited them out to dinner, and they couldn't turn him down. They would have preferred someplace fun, somewhere they could loosen their ties and laugh and drink wine. But that's not the way it went, so they have to resign themselves. They're 50, 45, 40, and 36 years old. The maitre d' is 55. The woman with her back to the wall keeps staring at the restaurant's entrance. Whenever someone walks past, she moves her head to ensure she maintains her line of sight. She hasn't uttered a word since she first sat down. She hasn't touched her water. She hasn't read the menu or looked at the specials of the day. She just sits watching, with one hand on her knee and the other opened flat on the tablecloth. When the waiter asked her if she wanted to order, she replied that she was waiting for someone, lifting her eyes to look at him for just a fleeting instant. In those eyes, the waiter saw no reflection of himself. Her gaze looked right through him, as if he were air, as if he didn't exist. He thought to himself that he wouldn't want to be the person who was late for dinner. That woman didn't seem willing to forgive and forget. She's 31, the waiter is 29. And while the woman with the cold eyes suddenly stands up, while the DJ is about to make his wise crack, as the German citizen is about to turn to page 100 in his novel, while the young bride is about to order the 20-course tasting menu, while the group of Japanese businessmen decline the offer of a house sake, and while one of the Albanian models starts to get up to go to the bathroom to snort one last line, time stands still.